God, it's so good to be here as your family of faith. If we're not here, we miss out on days like this when we see all these kids, when we have the chance to uh, participate in baptism like this, and when we have the chance to celebrate the sacrament of uh, Holy Communion, which we're going to do in a few moments, most especially gather around this table of remembrance as we remember what you have done, the sacrifice that you have made. I pray now in the stillness of these moments uh, that your word would come alive, not because of my study or not because of, of my words, but may it come alive because your spirit is the go-between, speaking to each one of us, however you might choose. You are our king, and we want to serve you today. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray all these things. Amen. Elizabeth was her name. Alice and I were at a party where we met Elizabeth just a little over a week ago now. It was in Boston, and we were there for the graduation of our African daughter, Hermione, who was graduating from the Harvard Medical School. Now, Hermione had been Elizabeth's senior mentor there at Harvard Medical School. Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth was a, a first-year student, and the two had been attending church together. Elizabeth had come to sit next to me, and she didn't have a choice. We had a circle, and as is always the case, no one wants to sit next to me. At session meetings, no one wants to sit next to me. Usually, now they can't help it because they're up here today going to serve communion, but otherwise, people do not want to sit by the pastor. That's just the way it goes. That's why Alice likes to sit with me when she's here. She's at, a, she's at Sunday school right now. But Elizabeth didn't have a choice. She sat next to me, and somehow I believe it was a God thing. For nearly an hour, we talked. I asked her questions and kind of probed and then she also shared with me, and it was a joy. She told me her story. Elizabeth was a daughter of a retired Army colonel who was a graduate of West Point and also had his master's degree from Stanford. Her mother had a master's degree in music, and she was a church musician, played the organ, and also was a choir director. They had traveled all over, as you might, expect, as you might uh, think, imagine, and uh, she had de developed a great, Elizabeth had developed a great love for music, especially with her mother being a musician, and she often sang in front of church like this. Along with being very enthusiastic and passionate, Elizabeth was also very, very bright. She had a bachelor's of science degree from Stanford, where she majored in biology. And even when she went to interview at Harvard Medical School, she'd already been accepted at Stanford's Medical School, but she fell in love with Harvard. Here's where serendipity comes in. While Elizabeth had faithfully practiced her religion all of her life with her family, she said, four months ago, I had a radical transformation. In her words, she had moved from religion to a relationship. For this precocious young woman, it was plain to see that it was a relationship that was anything but casual. It is winsomely vibrant and passionate. She really believes that Jesus is who he said he was. She really believes that Jesus is the risen and now reigning Lord. 
And she believes that the Spirit, whom you talked about last week with Pentecost, has come to indwell her and is living within her. And as her Savior and Lord, Jesus is now more important to her than her aspiring career goals, which she has not planned to change. Now, if you were her parents or grandparents, and your kid's off to medical school, and she has this amazing transformation, you can see that you're just a little bit uneasy normally. And so it might seem that there's a possible storm on the horizon. Surely Elizabeth's parents will try to slow her down, we might think, and and maybe help her keep things in proper perspective. At first, she didn't know how to tell them about this radical transformation in her life. Maybe she could talk to them at Christmas when they would have a little more time to, to kind of sort through it and process it. But she couldn't keep it from them that long. That new relationship replacing her comfortable religion was just too important to her. When she finally shared with them what had happened, she was shocked and overjoyed to hear that independently of each other, both her mother and her father had the same kind of radical transformation during the same period of time that she had. Since they now reside in Detroit, they'd been concerned about how they were going to break the news to her, that her family life was going to be a little different than it had been. And again, completely independent of each other, both Elizabeth and her parents, again, who live in Detroit, have a new compassion. She lives in Boston to begin reaching out to homeless people. So it's something that uh, there's something coming out of this. It isn't just a head trip or just an emotional experience of one kind or another. Practically, they're beginning to live out the gospel with a Christ-like passion. On this Sunday, after the celebration of Pentecost, which was last Sunday, Let's travel back together to Acts chapter 2. Let's see hundreds of people who experienced a similar transformation as Elizabeth and her parents. People who were radically transformed from merely practicing a familiar religion to experiencing a vibrant, winsome relationship with the living God through the power and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, to just recount where we are when we pick up this passage, Peter, the big fisherman, whom Jesus forgave and recommissioned after the breakfast on the beach, has just preached a stirring sermon on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit had come to dwell continually on all who named Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Speaking to these pilgrims who had come from all over the world for this special day of celebration for the Jewish community, Peter references the facts that the happenings of that day had been predicted by their prophet, Joel. And then he also talks about their greatest hero, King David. And he says, guess what? Great King David's greater son, Jesus, has been raised from death to everlasting life and is now on the right hand of God. That's when we pick up the story in Acts chapter 2 beginning with verse 36. When Peter, sees the appli- when Peter makes the application for all that he has just said, please follow along with me. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 41. 
Now, he begins with therefore, and I've said many times before, whenever someone uses a therefore, look and see what it's there for. In other words, look and see what is preceded. And he's saying, on the basis of all that I've just said, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. May God add his blessing and understanding to our hearts and may apply it to us today. I believe that in verse 36 we find Peter's thesis statement for all he had to say as well as his application, and it's succinct and powerful. Pentecost, as you might remember, is only 50 days after the Passover. Jesus' resurrection took place a day after that Passover, so it's a recent event. And needless to say, all of the people who are gathered there for Pentecost are buzzing about what had happened. They're talking about what had happened with Jesus raising from the dead. This application that Peter is making is for all of Israel. That is, anyone who traced their roots back, all the way back to Abraham, and were practicing the faith of their forefathers. This all includes the greatest of the leaders who were there, as well as those who were followers, all of them are to be assured or completely convinced and confident that it was their God who came to this earth in Jesus. This happens to be the same one, Peter says, whom the religious leaders have executed on a barbaric cross. Don't you admire Peter here? I mean, this is the same guy who had denied Jesus, and now he is saying whom you crucified. What he passionately proclaims is far from being politically correct. What he's passionately proclaiming isn't being spoken in secret, somehow behind closed doors. He's speaking out in the open, and you can bet that many of the religious leaders are there. This is a dangerous thing for Peter to say. Peter goes on to say that God has made him both Lord and Christ. And by Lord... I think Peter is saying that Jesus is the master of all to whom everyone should bow down and pay great honor and whom they should follow closely. As the Christ, Jesus is the anointed one. He's the Messiah, the one that their prophets predicted, the one who was supposed to bring them deliverance, who's to set up a new kingdom where God would reign. It's a tough thing to comprehend the fact that they had extinguished the light that God had come to bring to bring them ultimate illumination. Do you see what's happening here? God is using this rough-hewn, deeply flawed fisherman to demonstrate what can happen when ordinary people are filled and infused with the Holy Spirit. 
When my daughter felt called by God to become a pastor, she had grown up in a pastor's home, so there were two actions that she said, I will never do. There's no way, it's impossible, I can't do these things. One is preaching, and the other is pastoral care. I mean, that's quite a bit of what a pastor does, but that's what she said. And she surmised that she could never get up and proclaim God's word for 20 to 30 minutes. And furthermore, she didn't think that she could ever visit hospitals where people were really sick and there was a lot of blood and that kind of thing. And she could never, I mean, never see herself doing a funeral. Well, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, she found that she was an effective communicator of the word and that people responded very positively. She also discovered that some of her greatest ministry moments took place in hospital rooms. And then the greatest surprise of all was that she found, after she'd done a few funerals, that people were following her around and saying, would you do my funeral? Would you promise? Please? Please? And because of that, people began to nickname her the Grim Preacher. (laughs) Dear friends, when filled by the Holy Spirit, you and I can do and say what seems impossible, just like Peter did. Now, in verse 37, in response to the supernatural happenings of the day and the Holy Spirit speaking through Peter, the gathered crowd is deeply moved. Luke, the writer of Acts, states that the people were cut to the heart or deeply moved. In a sense, their hearts were broken because of what they had done to this one whom God had sent. Their consciences, which had been designed by God, were genuinely and powerfully convicted. Just as the Holy Spirit does week after week in all kinds of settings around the world, he acts as the go-between. He takes the words of a less-than-perfect speaker and applies them in the minds and the hearts of the listeners. I'm keenly aware of the fact that if that doesn't take place, if the Holy Spirit isn't the go-between, then what we've got here is going through the motions. What we've got here is someone speaking, but it really doesn't mean that much. It might build our religion, but not our relationship. The people's response is a question which is music to the preacher's ears. They asked Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? We can't continue on the same course. You have convinced us that Jesus is the Lord and Christ. Now what should we do about it? They got it. Now they had to act. They couldn't stay the same, just going through the motions, merely practicing their religion. God was calling them into a relationship that would transform their very lives. Maybe that's you today. If you feel convicted that you need something more than practicing a religion with all of its traditions, maybe you're saying, brothers, what shall we do? If so, listen to Peter's response to the crowd's question. In verses 38 through 41, Peter, filled with the Spirit, calls them to repent and be baptized, and then gives them a twofold promise. Again, I'm astounded at Peter's courage here when he's infused and filled with the Holy Spirit. 
he begins by saying that they needed to repent. I've often talked about this concept of repentance, and I guess principally because it's a central concept in the Bible. Jesus speaks about repentance often. John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, repent. The prophets of old talk time and time again about repentance. Repentance is the place where it all begins in our relationship with God. Otherwise, they will continue to practice the traditions of their religion, but not experience a relationship into which they are being invited. Originally, repentance had the idea of an afterthought, of its second thought, of a change in thinking. The second thought or change in thinking was because what they were first thinking was wrong, and they realized it. It came to mean a change of mind which demanded a change in action if it was going to be authentic. William Barclay, great biblical Scottish scholar, says in a succinct way, true repentance involves a change of mind, but also a change of action. Repentance has been described, as I did rather poorly with the kids, a 180-degree turnaround, you know? It means moving away from God, going our own selfish way, but then turning around and moving toward God and walking with God. I've come to believe that repentance is one of the most winsome, hope-filled words in the Bible. It means that we can change our minds and we can change our actions with God's help. It means that God is a God of second chances. Repentance was the important first step for the religious crowd to whom Peter was speaking. Repentance is also the place where it must begin for each one of us. Next, did you see what Peter said? He says, every one of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, you've got to understand, that was a radical step. There was baptism back then, but baptism was set aside for those proselytes who were becoming Jews. If you'd been a Jew for many years, why would you want to be baptized? It would be a humbling experience. I mean, maybe for several hundred years, your family had been Jews, and you always were one, and it meant humbling yourself and in a new way receiving cleansing from God, a whole new beginning. Peter says, if you do these things, then there are two promises. One, you're going to receive the forgiveness of sins. Because of the sacrificial love of Jesus, not only could they turn around and walk with God, but they could be washed clean of their sins. If every sin that they had committed could be etched on some kind of a scroll, if they could remember every one of them, it could be burned. They could start all over. They are also presented with the gift of the Holy Spirit, which meant a continual relationship with God who would now indwell them. Like the one presenting the message that day, they would be empowered to do what they might have otherwise thought to be impossible. The end result would be that people would be drawn to Jesus in the most natural and winsome way through the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter goes on to say that the promise of forgiveness and a continual relationship made possible through the indwelling Spirit was not just for them, but it was for their families. It was for all who would follow after them, which includes us today and those who will follow after us someday. We are told that Peter went on sharing with them. He warned them. He pleaded with them to save themselves 
from this corrupt generation. And we are told in a marvelous manner that 3,000 of them accepted Peter's message and moved from religion to a relationship on that day. My my new friend Elizabeth and her parents responded by faith to God's invitation to move from a religion to a relationship. Is that where you are today? Maybe, Maybe you've been a church member. Maybe you've been involved in all kinds of music. Maybe you've been involved in all kinds of activities, all kinds of leadership opportunities. But if the truth be known... You've never responded to God's invitation into a continual, life-enriching relationship. You may be a good person, a moral person. You may have done most of the things right in your life, but realize that there's something missing. You need something more. Oh, dear friends, that something more is a relationship with God through Jesus. More and more today, I have the privilege of talking with people who haven't been a part of a church and who've said, the last thing I want to do is be a part of organized religion. I've got all kinds of issues with it, and maybe some of them are pretty good. Yet if that's you, and the truth be known, you too, in your deepest of selves, may be looking for something more in your life. That something more is a relationship with God through Jesus, and that is much, much more than organized religion. Possibly, there's a time in the past when you entered into that relationship and for all kinds of reasons that relationship has grown stale or maybe has been broken. While you may have issues with God or those who profess to be followers of God, you're looking for something more. That something more can be reconciliation and a fresh start in your relationship with Jesus. This table before us is a visual symbol of the extent to which God was willing to go for you and me to be in a relationship with him. He was willing to come to our world. He was willing to have his body broken and his blood shed so that we might be in a relationship with him. This table is also a visual visual invitation from God. And it's extended, even as we partake of the elements, it's extended to each one of us to move past religion and be in a meaningful, empowering relationship with Jesus Christ. It's an invitation to you and me. And as Peter boldly stated, as a response to the crowd's question, brothers, what shall we do? We are invited to repent Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Today, instead of greeting you afterwards, which I love to do, along with others, I'm going to be over over by the cross and uh, the alcove over there. And... After we've celebrated the Lord's Supper, if any of you would like to talk more about what this means to have a relationship and not just a religion filled with traditions, it would be my great joy to converse with you and maybe even begin a series of conversations. Let us pray. 
Good and glorious God, thank you, thank you, thank you for being present with us here today. Now continue to speak to us as we celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.